We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, indeed. We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We've got lots of ideas on the podcast. This is episode 219 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. This is an Australian podcast where we talk about news and politics, sex and religion. There'll be plenty of all of that tonight. And with me, as always, is Paul the Twelfth Man. Hi, everyone. Hi, Fist. And with me, not as always, is our own deep throat, Craig. Welcome aboard, Craig. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Scott bailed again at the last minute and uh, he's got a migraine. So he's back in bed with um, hot soup for a migraine, Dr hot Craig. Soup, uh, um, a, cof- a cup of coffee. A cup of coffee. In the dark room and the lie down and close the eyes. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. so anyway, that's. Uh, I asked you before for a quick on-air diagnosis of what a migraine, <laughs> an onset of migraines might be, but you refused to provide any. Yes, he needs to see his own GP, I think. That see would be the GP way to go. is that's the right. advice. Good advice. Very sage From advice. Deep Throat, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, look... You've been with the podcast as our own deep throat, our sort of our secret man on the spot. You've gone to various conferences and bits and pieces for us, Craig. And now that we're live streaming, your identity has been revealed. Yes, it's probably okay because I think they know me now. I've been going to a few of the ACL sort of do's and I'm starting to get known. So um, I think it's time to reveal myself. There you go. So you lasted about, your secret lasted about four years, whereas the real deep throat... Mark Felt, who worked for the FBI and was the deep throat for the uh, for the uh, guys with the Washington Post, uh, he kept his secret for thirty years. Wow, mm. impressive. impressive! Yeah. Mm. So at the age of ninety-one, he revealed that he was deep throat yeah. uh, at the urging of his daughter. Obviously, he was on death's door, and she said, "Come on, you better tell everybody." Mm-hmm. We've spared your children the necessity <laughs> to do that by revealing you now. <laughs> they might be horrified now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, dear listener, we've got lots of really, really good topics. This this episode could go three hours. Are you going to go anywhere tonight? Craig? <laughs> Not, no, no, it doesn't seem like I will be, but does it? <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't. You don't. You're good. Yeah. yeah no, I'm three, good. Three hours. If we get honestly, if we were to. Get on to the, it could be a long one, but we'll see. What about Mrs. Yes. Fist? She might object. Yeah, <laughs> um, she stopped listening. I think. Has I think. She? I think. We, oh. Yeah, a couple of long, a couple of long ones was enough, and I don't think she catch, she caught up. So I don't know. Anyway, right, dear listener, news and politics, sex and religion. So first up, um, in Australia, <coughs> we've got uh, Scott Morrison is talking about introducing a, a new system for welfare recipients, whereby they'll be drug tested and. He calls this compassionate conservatism. And that sounds like an oxymoron, if, if, if ever I've heard one. It does, doesn't it? Mm. So, yeah, but look, conservatism isn't necessarily a completely bad thing, is it? No. I mean, no. seriously. I mean, you know, having sort of yeah. dabbled in leftist politics, and then when you, you look at the conservatives, I don't mean the, you know, the extreme right-wingers. I just mm. mean the normal run-of-the-mill conservatives. They actually start to look somewhat sort of sensible and 
But uh, compassionate isn't a word. It's more of a look after yourself sort of thing rather than a compassion. Oh, he's just trying to dress up his policy in, you know, nice-sounding mm. words, isn't he? Mm. So l- let's just look at the proposal for starters. So what we've got is um, a drug tr- testing trial which would take place in Logan, uh, Canterbury-Bankstown and Mandura, which is in Western Australia. And new welfare recipients would be selected for testing at random. Hmm. So they would be tested to see if they uh, have been taking um, illegal drugs, namely ICE, which is methamphetamine, ecstasy, known as MDMA, marijuana, cocaine and heroin. So they'll test you at random and if you're found to have... Uh, that in your system, then you'll go on to a one of these cashless debit cards, so which has been used in some remote mm, indigenous, indigenous communities. communities, and I think yeah. also around Harvey Bay. I think. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, um, so those who fail the test will have eighty percent of their welfare benefits quarantined for two years using the cashless debit card. And if a person fails a second test in 25 working days, they will be referred to a medical professional for treatment. Mm. My initial thoughts at this point is bad luck if you own an investment property in uh, Logan, Canterbury, Bankstown, or Mandura. I mean, because your property value no, just took He's going to live there. Hey, yeah. if, you're, if you're on welfare, yeah. you're going to, well, if you've got a choice of where you're going to live, wait, yeah. you're not going to go there, are you? Yeah, so, I mean, if he's, if he's trialling it, why, why not a random selection of locations? In, in, indeed. But you know, it, it, it seems very clearly targeted at areas where there are more working class or poor people. Yes, who are and, likely, in his thoughts, to be susceptible yeah. to and drugs. are they Labor voting or Liberal voting? What's they, the member of One would assume that they're Labor voting. Yeah. One would assume. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to be a little bit cynical on that, in yeah. that regard. Yeah. But here's, here's the first kicker of all this is uh, te- the recipients will be selected for testing at random. So I don't know how it works, with you have somebody in charge of your case or whatever, but you wouldn't want to upset them, would you? <laughs> you know, there you're giving discretion to a public servant who can just say, don't give me a hard time because I will now put you on the random If list. indeed they have the power to do that, which we don't know. Well, it's saying that they're going to be selected for testing at random. Well, so, you know, at the airport, when you go yeah. to the airport, you, yes. you might be randomly selected to yes. be tested for residues of drug-making <coughs> chemicals. I've been yeah. tested several times. Yes. I don't know why. But there's no relationship like between, between you and the tester. And there's no... That's true. Yeah. And, it, and it's... Well, it appears to be truly random. So we don't yeah. know just how they're going to do this randomisation. Yes, mm, but, you know, I'd, I'd certainly be worried if I was a recipient and mm. I rubbed up the person the wrong way by maybe standing up for my rights and saying, hey, yes. you know, what you're doing is wrong yeah. um, to me, then mm. you might be reluctant to do that if mm. it's going to be a random, ah, mm. well, in that case, here's a random test, mm. off you go. Yeah, and going back to how it was done in Central Australia, was it with uh, Indigenous population in Harvey Bay? Did they do this drug um, testing there, this random drug testing? I don't know how they were selected So this this is a thing on top of that 
cashless card yeah, um, I, system. I, yeah. Mm, so this is a trial to run it out for mm. all recipients. Mm. Of course, all young recipients, it turns out, because what they're talking about is really limiting this to people like under 35. Okay, so... Because old people don't have drug problems. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in your whole time as a GP, yeah. did you ever see anybody over 35 with a drug problem? <laughs> Possibly, Impossible. Yes. <laughs> no. like, this yeah, is part of this is part of the bullshit. Yeah. You know, um, picking yeah. on the younger generation by these goddamn yeah. uh, liberal government again. Yes. Where you know they'll grandfather everything <laughs> yes. to excuse the older generation, yes. including welfare drug yes. tests. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, this older generation were young at one stage, and who's to yeah, say sure. they they gave yes. up whatever habits they had? Oh, narcotic then. drugs have been um, around for yonks, haven't yeah. they? I mean, yeah, let's face it. Right. And look, in the United States, I think they used to use uh, sort of drug laws to. In, in a way, um, target um, non-white people, didn't they? Because, I mean, oh, yeah, there are stories... Yeah. I, I know Louis Armstrong was famously was someone who smoked marijuana every day, was a report I read. Right, yep. Uh, and it, it would appear they left him alone because he was famous and popular. But people like uh, Billie Holiday was a heroin addict yeah. and she was arrested and thrown in the can. She was harassed. Yeah, harassed. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, it's, you know, it would appear to me... I mean, the, 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 the cashless card was used in Indigenous communities, I don't think due to any connection with drugs exactly, but because they perceived that people in that community on welfare were spending it on things that... that well, it was alcohol. Yeah, alcohol. A, drug, well, that's, a legal drug yeah, of alcohol. Yeah, that, that's but the gambling the too, probably. That's yeah. the elephant in the room, isn't it? Mm, that yeah. when you look at drugs across the... Across the society, then alcohol and tobacco are, are far in excess of any of these other so-called illicit drugs. Yeah, mm. and um, responsible for yeah. far more harm to people. Oh yeah, yeah, that's in right. In terms of uh, that's right, and uh, yeah. So um, so if you're on a cashless debit card, twenty uh, percent of your welfare is in your normal account, mm. and eighty percent goes onto the special card. Mm. And on the special card. You can use it uh, to go shopping and pay bills and buy clothes, but you can't get cash out and you can't spend it on gambling or alcohol. Mm. So The, the mm. thing that strikes me is the amount of money that um, welfare recipients are getting. Um, <laughs> I don't know how there would be enough money left over to buy anything, let alone even a pack of the cigarettes. You know? yeah, that's right. If, yeah. if, if, they can, if they can arrange their resources Gee, such that they've got money left over to buy alcohol budget, out of budgeting that. magic, that's what it would be. Exactly. Yeah, so, you'd, you'd, you'd say good luck to you if you can do that. So. Yeah. Um, so may, maybe should send them for an interview with a, um, an accounting firm or yeah, something. Yes. Tell them how it's done. Yes. Um, so um, internal documents suggest the trial will cost $5.6 million and the uh, ACOS says it, testing is going to be between $500 and $900 per person per test. Seriously? Ooh. Yes. That much? That's Gee, what ACOS says. That's a lot of money. And, and it strikes me that that money would be better spent actually treating people who present and say, look, I've got a problem, help me, mm. rather than people saying, look, I don't need any intervention. Yes. Yeah. The government says they're going to provide uh, another $10 million to bolster rehab services. $10 million. Yes. Small change, isn't it? Well, why not add the 5.6 to it and make it 15.6 on right, rehab services? Extra, yeah. Yeah. Um, but all this might be okay if there was a large number of people with a chronic problem, perhaps, maybe, 
But has this been done anywhere else in the world? What are the <coughs> other examples? And the answer is New Zealand. So if we're uh-huh. looking for a comparable trial, I would have thought the New Zealand population mm. is a good one. Quite yeah. similar to the yeah. Australian yeah. population. Yeah. Yep. In New Zealand, about 40,000 welfare recipients undergo drug tests each year. Still now? Yes. Wow. The tests are only referred by the New Zealand government's Centrelink uh, where the employers request mandatory drug, drug tests for job applicants. So if it's mm. the employer mm. says, I want a test, then they do it. So it's not random in that okay. sense. It depends mm. on an employer can insist on it. Um, so it's not used to punish people, but just to screen them for jobs. Well, I mean, it still sounds like punishment to me. But if a person fails a test, they can be forced to pay the cost of the test and have their welfare payments cut. So pay the cost New Zealand. of the test? Yes. Well, Australia was going to do that, and they dropped that from the... So, yes, part of the proposal originally was that people would pay for the test if they failed it. But they've dropped it. The, they haven't got any money to pay for the test. That's, 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 <laughs> well, what the they've said is, obvious. you're such a financial genius, you can actually get drugs. On the little that we're paying you, clearly you'll be able to pay the cost of, of the failed test as well. It seems to me the drugs are going to be cheaper than the drug test. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but here's the thing about New Zealand. So the policy was introduced in 2013 by the national government. Uh, and at the time, they were citing statistics suggesting between 10 and 20% of people on welfare benefits were using drugs. But data from New Zealand's Ministry of Social Development shows that of the 47,115 people who were tested in 2017-2018, so 47,000 people, only 170 recorded a positive t- result for drugs. <sighs> it's minuscule, isn't it, really? <laughs> 0.3% of those tested. So is it worth it? Clearly not. Yeah. Like, this isn't a problem. This is not a problem yeah. that deserves this response. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. there's a problem was, was of... Was re- the test, like, out of the blue, or did people say, well, well, well these, I'll just wait three days before I have my test? Well, I guess yeah. these were 47,000 people who the employer had said, mm. if you want to apply for this job, we want a drug test. Yeah, so, so it could be skewered in the fact that the applicant can... Um, you know, just wait enough time and they know they're clean. Yeah, mm. well, but still, an applicant mm. knows they're possibly going to get a random test so mm. they can also mm. make themselves, you know, True. like 170 out of 47,000. Yeah, That's not such cost-benefit, is it? <laughs> just give the money to the people yeah. and just provide rehabilitation yeah, services, yeah. for goodness sake. Like, yeah. this is nasty. And if it that sort of uh, evidence is already available to the government and Ex- they're ignoring it... Exactly. Yeah. What does it tell you about the government's um, agenda? Exactly. Really? Yeah. They, they do appear to, appear to want to be tough. They want to appear to be tough. Um, and who can they pick on who's not going to vote for them? <laughs> it's going to be the people yes. under 35. Ex- so we, who yeah. vote Labor. Yeah. And vote Labor. Poor people. Yeah, that's right, in Labor electorates. So mm. it's a, you've got to be cynical yeah. on this, really, you do. It, yeah. It's all part of this prosperity gospel. Like These mm. people honestly believe that if you're poor and not doing well, it's, it's clearly because your you're a sinner and God has not favoured you because God favours you if you are... You know, doing the right thing. Well, so these people like are sinners. They're preaching, so that's mm. what they're saying. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. and they're just wanting to enforce their morality on people. Mm. That's what mm. it is. Mm. Yeah. There's some similar statistics from New Zealand on earlier years that basically um, mm. agree with that. And 
Oh, it looks like in America, there are situations where they had drug testing. Ah, about a dozen states in the US force welfare recipients to undergo testing when authorities say there is reasonable suspicion the person is using drugs. Uh, the old reasonable suspicion. <laughs> eh? Right. So, Where have we heard that before? So this is one where they're looking at somebody and seeing dreg lots and um, scrappy hair and needle marks or whatever they're seeing, you know, tattoos. Yes. For heaven's sake, maybe. Um, so they've got a suspicion that a person's on drugs. Right, you're going to be tested. So in Missouri, 38,000... 970, let's, let's say 39,000 welfare recipients were, um, there were actually there were 40,000 welfare recipients. Uh, 446 were tested based on you look suspicious and of those, 48 tested positive. Oh, wow. So that's, so, so that's more t- condemning, isn't it? Well, that's 10%, but mm. that is of mm. a cohort where you've said, you, you look really suspicious yeah. to me and I think you're on drugs. Yes. Yeah. So that's still a really small amount. Yeah, like it's, the best it's, they could do is 10%. There's yeah. probably people who didn't look like they'd been to church every week. Yeah. So, mm. uh, so I think uh, this is... The, the other thing that strikes me, and um, if you go back to the example in Vietnam where there were drug users in Vietnam because you know, the, the GIs were just scared, silly being in this mm. battle zone and they would go on drugs to, to escape, basically. Yeah. Mm. And the, the fear was fear. that when they went back to America, they would be um, hard to get off these drugs. And a lot of them just came straight off because they went from that fearful situation into, oh, I'm mm. home, that's fine, and just mm. got on with their life. Mm. And what the Morrison government is doing then, if they start introducing these type of authoritarian approaches, mm. they're going to make the stresses of being on welfare and the stresses of not having much money worse. Yep. And so what do you do? Well, you try to escape. So you start hitting drugs. Mm. Yeah. So or I whatever. think they're going to actually, it's going to be counterproductive. Mm. Might even push people mm. towards suicide. Yes. So, mm. Potentially. Yes. Because right. of just... Higher mm. levels of anxiety and thinking, no, it's, mm. it's just not worth it anymore. You know, mm. even going to the doll office is too stressful now. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So what you were talking about Vietnam, that was mentioned in Chasing the Screen. Oh, was it? Yeah. I think. And mm. because he described a situation of uh, rat experiments where they had rats um, had access to two types of food. One was laced with um, drugs to get them high or, or just numb or whatever and then just normal food. And uh, they had rats in a really awful situation where they were bored, uh, overcrowded, having a terrible time. Mm. And they had rats that were in rat paradise where they had lots mm. of toys, lots of other rats to copulate with and mm. great yeah, rat heaven. <laughs> and what they found was that the rats in rat hell were just going for the drugged food all the time. Yeah. And the rats in rat heaven were going for mm. the normal f- and avoided yeah. the drugged food. They didn't, yeah. they didn't mm. want it. Mm. And what they also found was if they took rats out of rat hell and put them in rat heaven, they soon uh, stopped taking mm. the drugged food and mm. reverted back to the normal food. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. And that's when he said, wouldn't it be great if we could do a, a human experiment on mm. this sort of thing? And Vietnam was the example okay. where to deal mm. with the trauma of Vietnam, mm. all these guys were on drugs, but mm. um, the, the majority, an enormous mm. number, came back to America and basically went straight off it once mm. they were out of the trauma. Mm. And mm. 
Hell, if I was in Vietnam, I would have gone on drugs. <laughs> like, you would. It's a pretty stressful place. You'd have to, pretty, pretty to stay sane. Place to be. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so stressful. stressful. So chasing the screen for anybody interested mm. in drug legalisation, very good. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Hey, in the chat room, hi, Tony, Will, Caitlin, Daniel, Matthew and Tony. And Daniel asked, do you think it will create a black market for clean urine? So, <laughs> <laughs> like, this, is the, this is why it costs so much. Like when it says, you know, what do we say, between $500 and $900 per test? Yes. I guess these are urine tests, they're not blood tests or... Oh, or well, it could be either, but I assume they're going to be urine tests because it tends to be a bit easier to... Then you've uh, got to have somebody watching and you've... Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, the well, that's the other thing. Like, yeah. how embarrassing for people to have to... Like, it's bad enough for it's athletes to have to... Yeah. Mm. For hey, the you. average person to go and... You've been randomly selected. Yeah, pee in the Just, jar. Yeah. And I've got to watch you while Duffy. you're doing it. Really? Yeah. I no. mean, for the athlete... It's the, to their they advantage. Well, they well I have to because there will be a market for clean urine then. Sorry. Yeah, for athletes, yes. it's a different mindset because they want a, a level playing field. So they're yes. happy to do it mm. in some way because they don't want anyone else cheating. Mm. But for these guys, it's just purely like they're picking on me. That's, mm. that, that can be the only thing going through their head. They're just sure. picking on me. Mm. Yeah. The other thing about this is, you know, it prevents people spending money on alcohol and gambling because of this card. But alcohol and gambling are legal activities. Well, yes. It's like they're yeah. not illegal. Yes. Mm. You know. Yeah. So it's pure mor- moralising, isn't it? Yeah. It's and, just, and stigmatising people because yes. they're poor. Yeah. yeah. Given the number of parliamentarians we've got, if you did sort of random testing on them or, or mm. you looked at them and you know, somehow managed to get their urine and tested all, mm. you might be surprised how many are... <laughs> either on illicit drugs, mm. but certainly alcohol and tobacco mm. that they're yeah. using at, at a fairly high rate. So mm. it is hypocritical um, that they draw the line on these legal drugs and illegal drugs. Um, um, you both know that I'm in favour of decriminalisation of mm. drugs. Mm. Um, and, um, and this war on drugs has been going on for many, many years. has completely failed and yep. uh, we need to abandon this pr- approach that we've been doing. And, totally agree. Yeah. So there we go. That's uh, that, and we'll see where that leads. But I think it's just another example of just this, before we leave it. The, the other thing I think it's doing is this um, um, busyness. You know, we, some, some in some schools you get kids where the teacher just wants to keep them busy and gets mm. them doing things which don't are very educational, mm. but they're just getting them doing things. Busy work. Yeah, we busy call work. It. Busy work. Yeah. Well, you know about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> This is a government doing busy work, okay, but don't want to spend too much money. So we'll do a trial of some sort, but we don't actually want to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And is we'll it do all a bit s- of dog whistling to our supporters. Yeah. Well, yeah, is it also right. not a way of um, deflecting attention away from their lack of doing anything about the yeah. economy? No agenda, yeah. No yes. agenda whatsoever. No idea they were going to be back in Parliament in charge. So. But they can <laughs> beat up stories about, you know, yeah. uh, bludgers on welfare spending their, you know, spending the, the good people's taxes mm. on drugs you know yeah they got no idea they have got no idea no i mean idea. we're heading into a recession and they're trying to create a surplus like mm. all economic theory tells you that when times are bad and stagnant that's when a government needs to spend money mm. and to run a budget mm-hmm. um budget deficit, deficit if not necessary. a surplus yeah. like it's just economics 101 yeah. and these mm. guys have no idea so mm. Hang on tight, everybody, for what's ahead. It's ideologically dri- driven, though, isn't it? They, they believe that they have to be always able to stand up in front of the electorate and say, yeah. we are running a surplus. Yes. And That's made, what it's all about. Yeah. Yep. 
whether or not it makes sense. Mm. For their own political um, reasons. But, mm. And because people think, oh, running a government is like running a household. You know, Which you want to be on top of your bills. You don't yeah. want to be, you know... And that's not how it works. It's supposed to be a shock absorber. When the times are good, then you run a surplus. Um, when times are yeah. bad, you run a deficit. It's a shock absorber. Yeah. It's a pretty simple concept. I yeah. don't know how they and, don't get and it. And like it was discovered in the 1930s with the New Deal. So like it's pretty damn obvious. So during the Howard years, instead of uh, handing out middle class welfare, they could have been spending it on uh, infrastructure and you know all kinds of things that would have enhance the capacity of the economy mm. to absorb, you know, the, the downturns. Mm. But instead they just gave it away to people. Yeah, you know, uh, Daniel had it wrong about the black market for clean urine because, as Grant said in the chat room, it would be a yellow market for clean urine. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Grant. Have you, you guys ever seen that movie? Uh, it's, it's a science fiction movie about the future where People, um, you know, all their their DNA is 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 mapped. Oh, um, Gattaca, wasn't it? Gattaca, that's yeah, right, yeah. Gattaca. Mm. And in it, there's a, there's one guy who's got the right DNA profile to have a really good job in a in a company that sends spaceships into you know into the solar system. Right. And there's this there's this, but he's paralysed. He had an accident. And he's paralysed. Right. And then he sells his urine and his blood. And bits of his hair and all kinds of things that can be tested for DNA to this other guy who's got a faulty genetic profile, but he's physically okay and he wants to be an astronaut. Right. It's an interesting movie. Yeah, Gattaca. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What I want to know is how much the dear listeners are going to pay me for my urine. (laughs) 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 Any (laughs) takers? Is it clean? (laughs) Guaranteed. Uh, Yeah, bye who was being paid to impregnate another woman, uh, a woman, like his, the husband was sterile and they were paying this guy to impregnate his wife. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the guy doing the deed, though, he ended up being sued by this couple because he didn't reveal that he'd had a vasectomy. So he, yeah. so oh. he, so he, he wasn't helping out. <laughs> Yeah. So if, you, if you're taking bodily fluids False from people, advertising that check, one. check them out first. <laughs> yeah. there, there was a funny segment in that t- ABC comedy Squinters. Have you ever watched that? No. There was, you know, it was several little, uh, you know, couples in cars chatting, driving along and chatting. And one of them was a, a, a husband and wife who, f- for whatever reason, couldn't conceive. So they'd they'd paid this guy to donate his sperm, you know, mm-hmm. to, for in vitro fertilization. And for some reason in, in this program, in, in, in a couple of scenes, this guy was in the car with them, in the back seat, talking to them. It was hilarious. I recommend it to you sometime. It's okay. really, really funny because the guy was a kind of a bogan, for want right. of a better word. Okay. And, you know, the, the husband was like looking at this guy and thinking, oh, my God, you know, this guy's going to be the father of my children. Right. You know, okay. he's going to, his sperm are going to impregnate my wife. And, right. you know, it was... It was creating all these sort of conflicting mm. uh, ideas in all their heads, in all three of their heads probably, except the guy that was the mm. donor. But DNA, DNA testing is showing that a lot of fertility clinic doctors of 20 years ago yes. who were supposed to be getting donor sperm from random people were just providing their own. Yes. Yeah. A whole lot it of seems, them? Or? Well, yeah. I, I, it seems like there were cases. more than two or three. It seems like oh, a few, yeah. a few of them. Oh, yeah, I think there was quite a few. Yeah. Well, actually, in medical school, I was asked to be a mm. donor and uh, mm. it, it sort of came out of left field a bit and I said no. Mm. 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 
There we go. All right, we'll move on. We will be back to penises later, but before then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Only on the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. <laughs> Indeed. But become the, um, the Iron Hammer and the Velvet Glove. Of, yeah, 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 maybe. <laughs> we need to talk about the, the, the Tamil family, uh, the, or the family who uh, are Tamils who are in Biloela and uh, who are currently on Christmas Island, yes. it seems, awaiting deportation. They are. Back. And the question is... Well, should that happen or not? And let's give a little background first before we Please. decide. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the Tamils. So Tamils are an ethnic group who speak the language Tamil as their mother tongue and trace their ancestry to southern India and northeastern Sri Lanka. So bottom of India, top of Sri Lanka. And although most Tamils are Hindus... Uh, many in the rural areas practice what's considered to be a Dravidian folk religion, venerating village deities, and there's a few Muslims and Christians amongst them. But it seems to be they're mostly Hindus. Yes. So what we're talking about here is not really a religious divide as much as an ethnic divide. Very much so. Because, you know, the Tamils are fighting mm. the Sinhalese in uh, Sri Lanka, who are of the same religion, mostly. No. No? They're no, they're ah, Buddhist. Ah, they're Buddhists. They're Buddhists, ah. yeah. There we go. So it is a religious divide. It's yeah. partly, yeah. Well, it's I think it's both. both. Yeah, no, it's religious right. and yeah. ethnic. Yeah. yeah. Right. The Sinhalese definitely mm. identify sure as the a, Sri Lankans are Buddhist, mostly? The Sri Lankan yeah, Sinhalese could, are Buddhists, yeah. yes, ah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, it could be if, uh, some Muslim there. But, uh, right. There are some. Well, there's, there's a Muslim mm. minority, and, mm. of course, right. we saw that bombing several months ago, right. which was um, perpetrated by members of the Muslim minority there. So what we had were Tamils in the south of India, and when the... Um, the British uh, colonialists came in. They just consolidated all of India and lumped them all together. So, and they did the same in Sri Lanka, where there were, the Tamils were sort of separated to the north, and they lumped them together with the Sinhalese and, and called it Ceylon at that mm. time. And Ceylon and India were lumped together as well by the British, and they eventually got independence shortly after the war. And not only those countries, but of mm. course. Burma, yes, what we now call Bangladesh, Pakistan, that was all part of the British, um, mm. you know, Indian possession. Mm. So when the British were in control of Ceylon, Sri Lanka, the, who did they put in charge of business for conducting affairs? I bet you it was the Indians. The, oh, the, no, the Hindus, sorry. Yeah. Uh, it was the Tamils. The Tamils, yeah. So the Tamils were a minority who had were given a lot of the good bureaucratic jobs because they had excellent command of English. So so uh, was it because they were Tamils or because they were educated? Because of their they English. They had, for, for whatever reason, the Tamils had better English than the non-Tamils in Sri Lanka. Okay. Mm. So what you had was a minority group in high positions controlling uh, affairs. Mm. And, of course, once the British left... The non-Tamils, the Sinhalese, were going, well, now we're going to fix that because you minority guys being in charge mm. doesn't make sense. We're the majority. We should be in charge. Mm. So this is what the British, this is a common... So you're going to blame the Poms for it. Yeah, then. I've had some US bashing in recent times. Okay, let's, but let's have a little British bashing. Does this yeah. sound familiar to you at all, this scenario? Because if you think of um, Iraq yes, and... Yeah. 
the Sunnis were the minority in terms of population and the British put them in charge. And mm. what you see, if you are a, a, a colonial power and you need to use locals and you want loyalty, the best way of doing it is to use a minority group mm. who will be very dependent on you and will do everything to keep you there as the colonial power because they know once you depart and they're a minority, yeah. the party's over. I'll keep so, this in mind when so, I have the opportunity. That's what I was just <laughs> going to say. In yeah. my next colonial enterprise, I'll have to... Uh, Faced with two ethnic groups, a, a significant majority and minority, put the minority in power and they will be extremely loyal to you because they know it'll all come crumbling down if you leave. <laughs> So yes. similar, you know, yeah, it's, okay. it's, it's so. the But look, way it may it. not be entirely as well planned as that. But I mean, it's happened a few times. Yes, so. but historically, you know, there and, are, there and, are uh, tensions between various ethnic groups regardless of whatever colonial yes. power. And, and certainly it seems that the Tamils had better command of English and that would have been a reason why the British mm. would have <clears> been inclined to have them anyway. So... Uh, so after the British rule finished, uh, ethnic tension between the Sinhalese and the Sri Lankan Tamils rose. So they had a pretty nasty civil war and um, oh, about 100,000 people were killed. But that civil war ended uh, about 10 years ago. Mm. As of 2018, Tamils make up 25% of the population of Sri Lanka. Fair number. Hmm. It's a significant number of people, it is. isn't it? So, um, so is it still dangerous, is the question, for, for a Tamil, Tamil to, re to, return. To, to return? And I think the guy in this family went back to Sri Lanka a few times. That yeah, was one of, the, Sandy has, yes. one of the arguments. Yes. So not a good look if you're claiming that it's too dangerous yeah. for you. Uh, so... The UN has things called a special rapport, rapporteur. rapporteur. And I quoted the rapporteur in relation to Venezuela because he had some things that lined up with my thoughts on Venezuela. <laughs> and I got poo-pooed by Hugh Harris and everybody else, like, who's this UN rapporteur? Well, he's a UN special rapporteur <laughs> sent to look at these countries and give an independent advice. Mm. So what did this guy say about uh, Tamils in Sri Lanka? And... <coughs> He has said that um, he's observed a pervasive and insidious form of stigmatisation of the Tamil community. The pervasive lack of accountability for the war crimes that were perpetrated during the war, the climate of impunity that prevails within the security sector, the overwhelming economic weight of the military, its involvement in civil activities, um, overwhelming Sinhalese nationality within the military contribute to perpetuating the resentment and disenfranchise felt by the Tamil community, Got another person, Dr. Matt Withers, Sri Lankan expert, said that the uh, continuing ethnic discontent is very much alive in the aftermath of the war. There's been little reconciliation. And he said that it's hard to speak specifically to the sorts of conditions this family will encounter. I'm inclined to agree there is a high likelihood of structural discrimination, if not a real threat of violence. I don't know. It, to me, with 25% of the country are Tamils and the Civil War ended 10 years ago and sure there's going to be structural bias and mm. you're not going to get an even run as a Tamil <coughs> in Sri Lanka. But you're not going to be but, railroaded uh, into at, a concentration at, camp or at something. At what like point 
will a refugee ever go back home? Like, it's never, you never have a refugee who can say, oh, everything's paradise back home now. Like, Mm. well, I agree. But But. here it comes. But, (laughs) okay, what we should be looking at is not what's happening right now. This family, is it how long they've been here? 10 years, wasn't it? Yeah. I I don't know how long they've been here. But what was the situation when they arrived? That's Mm. it. And now if they're integrated into society, I don't think it's particularly fair to send them back Mm. on the basis of what's happening now Mm. if they don't want to go back. Mm. But look, they came individually on boats. They met here. They weren't a couple when they came. They met Mm. here. They were told by the immigration that their chances of being granted asylum were very, very low and that even if they had children here, that wouldn't help their case. Mm. But they went ahead, they got married, they had two children, despite all the advice that that would not help their case to stay in Australia. But, I mean, I can sort of understand that, you know, people might think that if we have children in Australia, surely they they wouldn't dare throw us out then because the Mm. kids would be Australian kids in a sense. Mm. But, you know, I mean, being born in Australia doesn't confer Australian citizenship automatically anyway, Mm. um, like it does in the US. I think the US Mm. is one of the very few countries in the world where being born in the country automatically confers citizenship. Yes, here you get get the best national, the best sort of status of either of your parents. So... Mm. Pick whoever's got the best visa, and you get you get theirs. Okay. Mm. But uh, just looking at the definition of a refugee, according to the UN Convention, a refugee is defined as a person who, owing to a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons of race, religion, nationality, membership of a particular social group, or political opinion, is outside the country of his nationality, and is unable, or owing to such fear, is unwilling to avail himself of the protection of that country. So, good, good point you made um, there, Craig, mm. that at the time they may well have mm. been refugees. I have no idea. And but yes. That strikes me as being. Yes. Mm. And uh, if at the time they're refugees, then. Because how long are you going mm. to keep these people hanging? Yes. You know, like, mm. they're here, they've enjoyed the benefits of being in Australia, or they claim they do. Mm. And. Um, I mean, uh, gee, it's a bit tough to say, okay, well, it's all over now. Mm. <laughs> Particularly tough on these ones because they did go to country areas and did, they did obviously, all the right things obviously from that point of view. entered the community at large mm. and didn't didn't stay in their That you could know, have been strategic silo. on their part. Mm. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, could. could have been. Mm. But mm. We, they were taken into the country as refugees at the time. The time well, to do it they, was back then. If they, mm. if they weren't refugees, then... Mm. When you say they were taken in, they well, came well, uninvited well, yeah. on boats. Yeah. Yeah. So they landed in but Australia they, yeah. and then they were assessed. Yeah. But how long did it take to assess them? Quite a well, while. Well, yeah. well it, it's now reached the end of the legal road. Is essentially. It's an awful long time. Exactly. It, 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 it went to the high court. Long. It went to the high court. This is, that this takes is, a long this time. This is crazy. I, I know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not... <laughs> I think the fault is a bit with the system in Australia. If you can't do it faster than that, then, gee. You know, but it would be difficult to say um, 
It'd be difficult to investigate what somebody's circumstances will be Very in a foreign country. I don't know how they do it. And like, not only how that. How do they say, oh, yeah, I know that when you go back, you're going to... But if the system happened more quickly, then people would say, well, it's a little bit too hasty, isn't it? Shouldn't we be more cautious, you know, more careful in investigating yes. the case? Yes. So whichever way the government, government yes. goes, they're going to be criticised if they eventually mm. deport them, mm. aren't they? Mm. You know, I mean... I, I think they... I feel sympathy for them on a, on a personal, individual, human level, very yes. much so. Mm. But, you know, if the government grants them asylum, mm. then why not everybody else exactly. who does the same thing? Exactly. And it really, with 25% of the population of Sri Lanka being Tamils, really? That's a lot of people. You, you can't go into a Tamil town and, yes, and but, restart your life yeah, again? But again, at the time, mm. were they true refugees? That's the bottom. And then well, once well, someone's at, been... Okay, um, so at every step along the way, everybody that's assessed them has said, no, you're not. not mm. Okay, fair And enough. every time they've appealed mm. and managed to get it all the way to the High Court, oh, okay. who said, no, you're not. So mm. nobody along the way said, that we think refugees. you are, and the okay. government's appealed. So, so, so not, they weren't refugees. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, oh, not refugees? Then. Yeah. yeah. You know, ultimately... I'm leaving this country because it's dangerous, got to get out, I'm so sad to leave my home, but I have to leave because I'm being persecuted. Well, congratulations, things are a lot better back home. Well, Um, I mean, they could have gone to Tamil Nadu in India, where presumably they wouldn't be discriminated against, wouldn't they? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, why Australia? Why Mm. come all the way to Australia? Because it's a a wealthy... Terrific country. Yeah. A lot of people would love to live in Australia. And why is it a lovely and terrific country? Uh, because of our political institutions. Yeah. But because we have borders. Like, mm. let's face it, you know, developed countries are the way they are in terms of wealth because they put up borders and stop people coming in. Mm. Like, it's not if only we did that, it, of course. That's a bit simplistic. No, because if you allowed everybody in, if you allowed free movement of people in the world without restrictions of borders, then the lifestyle we have here would not exist. Lots of countries, 70 million now. Would not exist. Lots of countries have pretty strict border controls. I know. I'm not saying there's anything different about that. Not great places to live. That's true. North Korea has pretty strict border controls. That's true. But you know what? Those places would also probably improve if there were no border controls because everyone would leave. Oh, I see your point. So, you know, if you created a world... if if suddenly countries just became, the idea of a country became defunct and there were no borders and, and people could move as easily as capital moves, mm. then, you know, our lifestyle would be... They would vote would, with would their feet. And they? obviously the lifestyle of poor people would mm. dramatically increase. Mm. It's because we have borders that yeah. we're enjoying all this. And Basically. so we're being selfish by uh, pulling up the rope and saying, can't get on board yeah. the ship, thank you very much. We so, have to acknowledge that. Are you we, suggesting so, that the Greens' idea of open borders is not a good one? Uh, correct, yeah. Because, I agree, I don't think it's a good yeah, idea. Yeah. Uh, was in the chat room says that they didn't learn English, apparently. So, oh. mm, anyway. Uh, I suspect one of the ladies who is a big supporter of theirs from that community seemed to me to be Christian. And I just think they're so good at organising and... Mm. It seemed to me another case of Christians as mm. you know being well organised and agitating and lobbying very well. So, should the um, law system, the legal system, take that long to make a determination? I mean, that's just it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of courts to get through. It so, is, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Seems to be something very wrong there. Yeah. Anyway, Christina Keneally, our favourite Catholic, she's called for a Christian response. Whatever that is. <laughs> yes. Which, which Christian? <laughs> take, exactly. Take your pick. Yeah. And um, Andrew Bolt had a pretty good article saying, well, if we're going to talk about Christian, then whose Christ, who's idea of Christianity? Mm. So um, Keneally, this is according to Andrew Bolt, um, claims that it's all in Christ's parable of the Good Samaritan, which she says invited us as Christians to take care of the stranger in our land. And Bolt said, but all that the Samaritan did for some injured traveller was bring him to an inn. He sure didn't let the man live the rest of his life in the Samaritan's home. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a point. Yeah. So he's saying, well, Christina, if you're going to take that view, then are you going to stop the whole Labor Party policy, which is Mm. to turn back votes? Of course not. I mean, she's so hypocritical. (laughs) So, um, yeah. And they often are. Yeah. Um, there we go. So, okay, so that's the Tamil family. It sounds like we are reluctantly in agreement on that one. Mm, maybe. Yeah. Need to find the next... Is the next article we can disagree? Uh, uh, well, this is the Virgin Mary and the penis, so... <laughs> but before we go on, oh, yeah, I mean, sorry. you know, other, other people in the Labor Party have sort of come out and said, oh, I'll let him stay, including, I think, Bill Shorten. Right. I mean, do you think they're just trying to, you know, very conveniently after, you know, as leader of the Labor Party, he supported the the government's policy of uh, boat turnbacks, right? Mm. And now he's saying, well, gee, they're nice people. Why don't we just let them stay? I mean, he's just trying to buy popularity, you know, isn't mm. he really? Mm. And I, th- I think one of the commentators that you had in your notes highlighted that sort of duplicity Mm. you know is the labor party you know uh, going to change their whole policy now no of course they're not Mm. it's just very convenient because these people are in the news to say sympathetic words about them yeah you know look if we were to allow the the three this this uh, family i mean we're gonna have a big issue and we're going to talk about this in the next few weeks i guess is about the west papuans in indonesia Mm -hmm. i mean sound a lot like the Tamils in Sri Lanka in mm. that they're an ethnic minority who would mm. be discriminated against and not yeah. given a fair run mm. uh, by a different ethnic majority, yeah. um, then we should be saying, well, every West Papuan who can get on a boat and get here um, should be allowed. There wouldn't be a lot of difference, I wouldn't have thought, mm. between a Tamil it's and... A, quite a different um, history, of course, yeah. and, and you're probably familiar with the... What did they call it? The... Uh, I forget what they... Uh, it was some sort of vote of self, self-determination. self But they handpicked like 1,000... Yeah. It was a corrupt vote. 1,000 locals, mm. West Papuans, yeah. and basically bribed them, you know, gave them food and stuff and said, oh, you know, mm. you, yeah. we need you to vote on something, guys. And yeah. they probably... I wonder if they even fully understood the implications yeah. of what they were doing. I but 1,000 people... Oh, yeah, and... Uh, and then the Indonesian government used that as a mandate to take over control. Yeah, that, yeah. that wasn't a fair... Yeah. But, the, but the Dutch and the Australians and the Americans and all the other Western allies, mm. they're complicit because they basically said, oh, it's only, it's only some, you know, jungle-covered, you know, part of the world that we don't really care about mm. and the people we don't really care about. So they just said, oh, yeah, they can have it. They mm. can have it, you know. 
the basis of it has to always be, are they genuine refugees? I think if they are, then we have to be accommodating in some way. It doesn't mean they stay here forever, but you can't let people who are genuine refugees in fear of their life on our, at one of our closest neighbours um, be persecuted and did, die. Did, and that we, we, ha- did, you know, we did, should take some sort of action. Did you just say, though, that we don't have to let them live here forever? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then back to the Tamils when you said yeah, earlier, yeah, I, I know. were they refugees at the time as opposed to now? Yes. And you were going, well, if but they the were at the time... is, is yes. how much time mm. in that too. Yes. There, mm. I think there is a nuance there. Yeah. Um, and the nuance also is, well, it's not even a nuance, is are they refugees? Now, mm. yeah. If the Biloela people tend, turned out not to be, have been refugees at the time, mm. that makes a big difference. Mm. 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 Right. It's, uh, we haven't spoken about penises for a while. Will we get the chance. <laughs> <Only. laughs> well, let's get stuck into them. <laughs> uh, there's a painting on display at Griffith University Art Gallery in Brisbane, which has copped some serious backlash from church <coughs> groups and members of the public. The painting, Holy Family, by Juan Davila, depicts the Virgin Mary cradling a giant penis. Mm. It's a massive penis. It is indeed. For the mm. people on... Actually... There'll be a picture of this in the show notes, and uh, it was quite a quite a, a decent mm. sort of depiction of a giant penis too. I thought, didn't you? Look, uh, well, I'm just putting it on the screen here no, for I the, did, the I people. Did see. In Tre- the... Trevor sent me that pornography. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> it's a big penis. It's it's look. Uh, Mary was just holding it. She wasn't yeah. doing anything with it. No, well, she was. She's hanging on to the scrotum as well. But, um, oh, that's true. Well, yeah. it's pretty heavy. You've got to hold on somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I've just finished showing that in the chat room. They've got that. So what we've got is um, a bit like the Falau case. We've got in one sort of brouhaha, we've got sex, religion, politics, free speech, all rolled into one. Twelfth man. Have we? <laughs> yeah, we do. So, <laughs> um, uh, so there's been uproar by people saying, well, this is just gratuitous... Smut. Smut. ...that's just being offensive purposefully to the Christian faith. That's right, deliberately trying to upset people, mm, uh, including our good Premier. Yes. So, and just trashing a religion because it's an easy target Mm. uh, is what what it's been saying. Indeed. Um, Anastasia Palaszczuk, our Premier... In, in charge of our state, mm. uh, she says that um, her staff have decided that the piece is, quote, too obscene and won't let her see it. What? <laughs> what? How old the is this? Of our state. Yes. How this old? has been sent. Uh, uh, yes. They're censoring stuff from That's her. That's right. Her staff, according to this article in the Courier Mail, said it's too obscene and won't let her see it. Is That's that more amazing? outrageous than That's the, what she, the, I know, the picture. I know. That's why I had to say <laughs> they're it. They're treating her like a child. Exactly. Oh, we can't let the Premier see this. It's too obscene. You don't want to see it. We'll tell you about it. We'll give it a, a, a sort of a sanitised description, but it's too much for our, for, our, for goodness sake. Oh. Yeah, so um, uh, let me see. What Kylie? I think it was Kylie Lang in the um, in the Courier Mail was going on about it. So look, it's it's art, and the whole point of this piece uh, 
It's in an art gallery in the university with a big sign out the front saying there's some pretty hardcore stuff in this room. Mm. So don't let your kids in. And if you're offended easily or even not so easily, don't come in. And or this means you, Palaszczuk. So, yes. Or why so, not let your kids in? For goodness sake, it's a penis. Indeed. 50% of the kids They've got one anyway. statistically are likely to have one, you know? Indeed. So... So for a start, it's not foisted on the public. Like, it's not on the side of a bus. Like, you've got to go and... And deliberately and, and, get, enter and, the place and, and open your eyes and, and look at it. Indeed. So there's a big difference. When something is, is tucked away and is mm. in an art gallery with a big sign saying, well, you don't have to look at it if you don't want to, then it's easily avoided for people who want to. So mm, I, think, I think and that's And they've difference. taken it off, off display, haven't they? No, I think they. I think the university was sticking to its guns. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, good on them. Yeah, at least they did that. Much. Yeah. Um, so, so there was that part of it. Um, I'm just thinking of other examples. Like, have you been to Mona in no, I haven't. Hobart? No. Oh, sorry. Right. I was thinking Goma in Brisbane. Right. Um, so, when you go down there, uh, there's about a hundred on the wall where they've basically taken um, moulds of women's... Vulvas. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and then done plaster casts and put them on a wall. And there's all shapes and sizes and types all lined up on a wall. Like, Mm -hmm. it's pretty confronting. Is it? Well, you don't see it every day. So, you go, oh, look at that. Like, it is confronting. But it's not like it's offensive. It's very interesting, really. So. So. In fact, there was a magazine some time ago mm. that had a, a special edition and they had all these photos of vulvas in it. Right. You know? Yeah. Precisely to, you know, to, yes. to, to shatter people's, yes. um, uh, I don't know, perceptions that it's something that isn't looked at. The very fact that it offends you is why it should be done in the first place. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So... Um, uh, let me see, there was a good point here in the um, – Tony in the chat room says, when looking at it, um, rather than a large penis, is it a small Mary? <laughs> could this be. is how art challenges us. Good point. Good point, yeah. Good point. Yeah, but, but, yeah there's a couple of things here, isn't it? For the artists to get their, their, their work across, they've got to somehow um, get some sort of um, – recognition through you know you know this sort of notoriety notoriety yeah. and that and mm-hmm. um sometimes but, helps but the other career. thing is you know the, uh, you know you look at that and you go what am i what's the artist trying to say and, and I, I guess with the royal commission and the and the and mary being sort of like the the central figure of the the catholic faith and that it's it's got to be linked up with that i would have thought mm. um but i don't know for sure mm-hmm. um but um yeah um I mean, it also brings back look at the Charlie Hebdo type thing. Yes. The way they made sales was to be confronting and mm. to you know, being sensationalist. And, and it begs the question: Why didn't the artist paint Muhammad. a painting of Muhammad right, riding a big, a big white galloping penis up to heaven? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. yes, because the artist wanted to stay alive, probably. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah. But the the, the other the other point, I guess, is. 
um, from my point of view, it's freedom of expression, you know, freedom, you know, and that should be allowed completely as the Charlie Hebdo um, cartoons. But I also think in society we've got this, that's the sort of the objective thing, you know, you've got freedom of speech, freedom to do this. But the subjective thing is that in our society we do need to have a civil society, we need to have a respectful society. So possibly that does cross the boundary in that sort of, um, in the, and the, on that sort of line, that we do need to be civil. We need to, you know, people do have these beliefs. If we're going to be secular mm. and we're going to say freedom of belief, then we do need to be respectful as well, mm. or else, or else we might stimulate violence. Or do we have mm. to be respectful of of all uh, ideas? No, sorry, I shouldn't have said the word respectful. I mean civil. Right, civil is more yeah. the thing. Well, is it uncivil to have? An artwork that pokes fun at the stupidity of a crazy religion, tucked away with a sign saying "Warning: Don't enter if you don't want to." Yeah. Like, I think that's. that's I, think, pretty civil. I think there's a civil veneer put on that yes. by saying, "Here it is. You can avoid this insult by just not coming in." Yes. Yeah. I think that's. Fair uh, it says, yeah. "I'm I'm respectful mm. of your mm. sensibilities, mm. and uh, so I'm putting up these signs, and you know, I'm not putting it on the side of a bus." Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that, yeah. That's, you're right. Mm. I think yeah, I think it's on the right side of the line. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. You're not spray painting it as a mural on the side of a cathedral. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, exactly. a, a penis yeah. is just it's a body just part a at the end yes, of the day. After yeah, all. One of the greatest statues of all time, the uh, David uh, Michelangelo's David, of course, mm. features mm. a fairly obvious Maybe penis. Maybe not of that size. <laughs> no. Well, on that point, so. Just, uh, I've got a link to a picture of it here, and you sent me this one, I think, Paul. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, look at, at uh, the statue David, and a 2005 study uh, shows that every anatomical detail uh, of David is consistent with what happens when a man is affected by fear, tension, and aggression, hmm. which makes sense since David is about to face Goliath. Uh, the penis isn't tiny, it's just hiding. So uh, <laughs> a bit of shrinkage due to fear of facing Goliath. Physiology, you heard it here on the, on <laughs> the velvet glove. Mm. <laughs> and you gave another link, Paul, to one in the Philippines where yeah. there was a wooden penis tacked onto the head of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that was back in, in 2011, I think, wasn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. so that one got taken down. But it anyway, did. Mm. Right, that's that for. But did you read the, um, the 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 quotation from the the, uh, the politician who was complaining about it? Uh, I think I sent you that in the link as well, didn't I? But uh, on the wooden penis in the Philippines. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a quote that I tacked on to the email about uh, what this politician said about. Um, well, he said. Aquino said, I did stress the idea that there are rights, but if those rights hurt the rights of others, there is something wrong, and that is not covered by the law. I reminded them that there is no freedom that is absolute. That wasn't it? No, that doesn't okay. ring a bell somehow, but anyway. that's all right. Uh, in Queensland, dear listener, uh, we have a deputy premier, Jackie Trad, who owns an investment property at South Brisbane, which just happened to be near the station for a proposed new sort of underground railway line that will happen. So the the allegation is that she shouldn't have been involved in decision-making for this because ultimately the location of the station 
possibly improve the value of her rental property. And the Courier-Mail has been going on and on and on and on about it. And, Mm. uh, okay, she should have declared her interest and all that. But I just want to make the point that these politicians were passing laws about negative gearing and grandfathering of provisions uh, on investment properties and they own dozens of them, some mm. of these guys. Yeah. And nobody yeah. said, oh, you shouldn't be making laws about negative gearing of mm. investment properties, yes. which was clearly improving the value of their investment properties. Mm. And uh, nobody said, well, you can't make that decision because of a conflict of interest. Like those mm. decisions arguably were more important, had more effect on the value of the personal property owned by the politicians than the Jackie Trad decision, mm. not a mention of it. Yeah. And it came out a few years ago when... I think it was Joe Hockey's wife. Can I say this on there? Yeah. Joe Hockey's wife apparently allegedly, say allegedly. allegedly owned the property that he was paying rent on. Yeah. You know, at our, right. you know, the taxpayers' expense. He yeah. he he was given an allowance to rent a property in Canberra to live in while he was there. So he rented off his wife. He rented it off his wife. Mm. It was negatively geared. You know what I mean? So they were. You know, they were really cleaning up on that Mm. at the taxpayer's expense. There is a bit of a difference here that we're talking about a specific property, aren't we, and also with the the hockey... um, And, and of course, he wouldn't be the only one. Compared to something that affects everyone in society, Mm. um, even if people haven't taken advantage of that particular law. So I think there is a distinction there. Well, yeah, like you know, she's just got one property. That's only yeah. that property that's a, that's a, that's affected. She's made a decision based on what everyone does when they're making. But, but arguably, she put the station, you know, two hundred meters closer to it or further away or whatever to her yeah. advantage because mm. she's got decision making and she would be making a decision in such a manner because it would personally improve her financial position. Mm. But I don't when, think when, she would when have a politician grandfathers where oh, the station was going. Well, yeah, when a when a uh, when a politician grandfathers existing laws on negative gearing and and happens to have six investment properties already, mm. I think it's just even a clearer conflict of interest myself. Mm, I don't yeah. think so. I think we're talking right. about a specific situation mm. compared to a general situation. So right. I think there's a difference there. Okay. All right. Um, Next up, we previously talked about ethics teachers in New South Wales. Mm. So, dear listener, um, we've got religious instruction teachers who enter schools. So these are volunteers with with five minutes training by some theological college who wander into schools and teach whatever they like about stuff. And, you know, I'm exaggerating. Okay, they've got a... Teach doctrine, but nobody's really monitoring what they're doing in there, mm. and they could be complete nutcases, and nobody would know. And uh, in New South Wales, there's a group called Primary Ethics who set themselves up in competition, if you like, to religious instruction. Basically, if religious instruction was being provided, then they offered an alternative of ethics, which was a secular ethics program. And the fierce people who are complaining about special religious instruction have never really been happy with the primary ethics people because really it's saying it's okay to have volunteers come into a school when really it shouldn't be. It should be just 
education experts from yeah. the department who People come into with schools. a teaching degree. So by primary ethics entering into these schools, they're, they're really green lighting the process and just saying, well, it's up to everybody, whoever can muster up the most number mm. of ethics teachers or religious teachers will win at the end of the day. Yeah. So Ferris has kind of always been against them and were particularly angry with them when in primary ethics showed up at schools where there were no religious instruction teachers and started offering ethics classes. And here's a link to an article where an ethics teacher has got into trouble in Sydney for telling students that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander stolen generations were taken from their families because of poor parenting. So this came up in an ethics discussion and the elderly, the elderly teacher told the students that what they'd been told about the stolen generations was a beat-up and that the real reason children were taken from their families was bad, lazy parenting and the children arced up and um, this guy um, has been suspended from duties and uh, so, A, it's an example of you just can't control what people are going to say when you've got volunteers coming into schools, but... <coughs> B, your thoughts, 12th man? Mm. You want to get into the stolen generation mess or you, you, you'd want to avoid I, that I would, one? I would, just... Look, I wouldn't claim to mm. have an intimate, you know, mm. deep understanding of the stolen generation's mm. uh, phenomenon, but, mm. you know... He was I, on shaky ground. He's on, very he's on shaky clearly ground. Very clear shaky. ground where you would just steer clear. Uh, yeah, yeah, look, that's an outrageous claim. Mm. You know, I mean, it may well have happened in a few cases that, you know, the local authorities decided kids were being neglected. That may, may well have happened in particular cases. I don't know. I'm mm. not saying it did, but it, it could have. Mm. But to then make a blanket statement that that was the reason mm. is pretty outrageous, I think. Yeah. So there's mm. the danger of just letting yeah. volunteers into a school yeah. and running amok. Yeah, I agree with 12th man. Mm. Yeah, that's one on there. Right. Uh, religious discrimination bill that we've spoken about in recent times. There's an event at QUT where they're going to talk about it, which is on Wednesday, 18th of September, midday till 2pm. I'm registered, was as registered. I'm and not sure I'm going to be here. You're not going to be there? Okay. Mm. Yeah. You've yeah. got to work. I have a job. Yeah. 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 I'm still trying to earn a living. Um, the Rationalists got invited to a meeting with the Attorney-General. Oh, okay. And according to Meredith Doig, she got to go with a few other members. The Federal Attorney General or the yes, State Attorney Federal, General? Federal, Christian mm. Porter. Mm. So I think there's about 20-odd people, mostly, ethnic, mostly minority religions, I gathered, plus the rationalists. Mm. So um, she asked, or she said she asked, um, what about a workplace that might have a rule that disproportionately affects non-religious people? For example, if the Lord's Prayer is recited each morning and every, everyone is expected to participate or at least be present. His answer suggested this might indeed constitute indirect discrimination against a non-religious person unless the workplace could show that the non-religious person's wish not to be involved could be reasonably accommodated somehow. So anyway, I can't think of many workplaces that have the Lord's Prayer, mm. other than schools, Religious and they're schools. exempt uh, from this. Yeah. And the parliament, parliament is a workplace. Mm. Maybe the parliament mm. is not exempt. So that might open the door. Some legal expert out there, please tell us. Um, mm. Interesting, I contacted the National Secular Lobby and said, 
did you get invited to the meeting? And they said, no. <laughs> so the yeah. rationalists got involved, yeah. but not the National Secular yeah. Lobby. Yeah. Um, Freedom for Faith is sort of a legal think tank group. Yes. And, um, in the United States? No, here in, in Australia. Australia. Yeah. Really? We went to their meeting in Spring Hill that time. <laughs> Remember? Oh, freedom for faith. Yes. Oh, sorry, I thought you said freedom from faith, sorry. which I think is the name of an organisation yeah. in the United yeah, States. Yeah, that's right. Freedom for faith. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Legal I remember that. think tank here. Mm. And they've latched onto Jackie Lambie's comments where she seems to be opposed to the religious discrimination bill. And she said, well, the feedback I get is that my electorate doesn't feel the need for it. No. So Freedom for Faith on their Facebook page said, everybody, pick up the phone and here's the phone number for Jackie Lambie's office in Tasmania and in Canberra. Here's her postal address, here's her email address and Mm. here's her office address and get your bums down there. Mm. And they'll just crank up the pressure on her. That's what they do. Yeah. Mm. That's that's what they'll do. Um. I didn't, when I was talking about the Religious Discrimination Bill, pay enough attention to this whole sort of... uh, The part in the bill that says that uh, charities, religious charities, will be able to employ people of their religion. They'll be able to discriminate Mm. in employment based on religion. So a charity like presumably the Salvos... Mm -hmm will be able to have a salvo shop and say, well, unless you're one of us, we're not hiring you mm-hmm. to run the counter or to... Blue nurses with the United Church. Yeah. Um, so, mm. um, so hospitals and, and uh, uh, retirement homes are not counted, but um, just charities. So, mm. you know, you, own, you run a soup kitchen or something and you'll mm. be able to say, well, we only want... You know, I don't think it, they would get enough volunteers, would they, if they did that? Well, just the fact that it's in the Act that says we can just discriminate mm. employment-wise yeah. based on religion on something like a charity and for functions that are not um, relevant to your religion. So mm. it's relevant when you want a, a religious instruction teacher or something in a school. Okay, it's a Catholic school. We want a religious... Instruction teacher who's Catholic. Okay, that's relevant, but it's like you don't need a math teacher, for example. So it's mm-hmm. it's that sort of thing is how relevant is it to it? And what Freedom for Faith and other groups are saying is this. They're saying that, um, that religious organisations have an ethos as part of their ethos is gathering together of like-minded people. So... Uh, quote here, this isn't a tricky legal argument. It's the very nature of religious belief that people who uh, people don't have it in isolation. It's not an individual right. It's actually a right to gather with others. It's a right to teach children. It's a right to gather on the basis of belief. So they're saying that their religious doctrine and identity and faith says that they are therefore allowed to gather together to the exclusion of others in whatever circumstance they want, mm. running a charity, for example. Mm. Um, and I say we've got to deal with this ethos thing and say that the right to gather together to worship is fine. 
the right to exclude others who don't worship when worshipping is fine. The problem is when gathering is not for worship but is for normal community activities such as education, work or leisure and religious groups want to exclude non-religious from those non-worship activities. Mm. Uh, that's going to divide society and be very harmful. And, of course, religious groups say that worship activities can't be separated from other lifestyle activities. It's, what? You know, that's what, that's yeah, what they say. And we mm. just have to call BS on that yeah, and absolutely. say... Uh, no, you're just running an op shop here. This is not a worship activity. Mm. You need to employ anybody and everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's only when you're actually in the process of worshipping that we will consider allowing you to, we, to just <clears throat> limit yourself yeah. to other worshippers. Yeah, what about like a Bible shop or something like that where it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, selling crucifixes? Or- well, you need some expertise in Catholicism <clears throat> then if you're mm. selling mm. Catholic relics and books. Okay, you mm. know, I can gather that. Mm. But when you're just selling old soup. shoes and uh, or soup, <laughs> then but it's not relevant. What about it's, the math teacher? So, well, clearly it's not relevant. It isn't, but you know why they want a math teacher who's a mm. you know professed uh, you know self professed Christian is because someday some kid is going to say to the math teacher, mm. "Hey, do you believe that bullshit that they've been cramming down our throats?" You know, in mm. in you know in in religion class, and the math teacher who might be an atheist is going to say, "Just between you and me, kids." It's a load of crap, you know. <laughs> he doesn't have to say that. He just has to say, look, you know, ask the religious... Yes, but mm. potentially, you know, mm. the, the non-believing yeah, math yeah, teacher course. might. Of course. But, you know, but they, the math that, that teacher kids, should be professional kids, and know how to answer. But mm. surely you, you could also say that teacher should be honest with the kids because, you know, we hold up honesty as a, as a prime virtue... Don't we want teachers who are honest to the, to the children when they well, ask that, them a, a what's straight the question? about saying ask another professional? Well, if the kid says, "No, you, math teacher, I want to know what you think. Do you believe that stuff that we've been taught about God and Jesus and stuff, or or Muhammad or whatever?" Shouldn't the math teacher be allowed to give their true, honest opinion and give the kids a straight answer? I think so. Mm. I mean, if we're going to hold up honesty as a virtue, mm. surely we expect our, our kids' teachers to be, you know, to, to live that virtue. Mm. So, you did think? you have sex last night? Are you going to be honest about that? Or, you know, what sort of sex did you have last night? And you why go? not be honest about it? You know, <laughs> it's sex, for goodness sake. It's I, I think there are things where you don't have to step in your professional role. Well, you might not have to things. give the details mm. of the sex, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Why should we be embarrassed? To say to kids, yeah, yeah, I had sex last night, you know. I mean, yeah. if they ask you a direct question, I mean, you know, I, I dare say sex might be something you that, didn't that's where talk about. That's mind your own business. Yeah, that's right. Mm. But in terms of something philosophical, like do you believe in Jesus, why shouldn't the teacher be able to give their true, honest opinion? It's mm. because they're afraid of that. They're afraid of in the a, truth. In a school mm. situation, do you want to be a purveyor of information like that or do you want to get kids thinking? And one way to get the kids thinking on that would be that there are people who believe and people who don't believe and you can phrase it in a way that you don't have to go oh, there. Craig, I, I think that's... The, Seriously, the coward's approach. If, you're, if you've got a kid, a young inquiring mind, and the kid, uh, you want that kid to respect you as a person of, you know, uh, integrity, 
and the kid asks you a straight, direct question. Mm. Sir, do you believe Jesus was, was, was a God or do you believe mm. Jesus even existed? I mean, what's wrong with giving a straight, direct answer on something mm. like that? But, of course, the, the religious you know, school uh, authorities, they definitely don't want to teach you who's going to be honest but in that way. But do you way. think you should yeah. give that same answer in a state school? Is, is it different to be in a state school? I would have. If I was mm. working in a state school and a kid asked me a direct mm. question, I would definitely. I wouldn't. I wouldn't answer. change my approach either in a state school, a secular school, or in a religious school. No, I wouldn't either. I would mm. give the same answer. I'd give the opposite. I'd, I'd again put it in a philosophical way. Yeah, but yeah. isn't that running away from from the kids? You know, genuine inquiry. You know, saying, "Oh, you know, well, I'm not going to give you a straight answer. I'm going to ask." Well, you they're asking me a, a personal question, and. I feel I don't have to give a personal question in my if that my job was a teacher. Mm. My job as a teacher would not be to actually reveal anything about my personal life or mm. that that I. And yet, teachers yeah. are supposed to be role models, aren't they? And if 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 honesty isn't part of being a role model, what is? But you can honestly say it's none of your I don't business. Think it's dishonest. You can honestly yeah. say it's none of your business, yeah. and that's not what I'm yeah. here for. Yeah. Well, I don't even think that's a good approach. Saying none of your business. I'm I being think it's blunt. Good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, effectively yes. saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's not what we're here for today. Yes. I'm uh, not running an ethics philosophy class. I'm running a math class, and yes. if you've got a genuine interest in this. Raise that with the ethics but, religion yeah. teacher. But doesn't that right. set up a, 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 something in the, in the kid's mind? Oh, why well, won't the teacher talk about it? Why won't the teacher well, just give me a straight answer? Well, how about this one? Sir, do you believe in the death penalty? Because <laughs> someone's getting executed in the United States tomorrow yeah. sort yeah, of thing. I would give the kid a straight answer. Well, in the middle of a math mm. class, I wouldn't. I'd say That's, this is not the time or place for that. It might like, not be, but, you know, at the end of the lesson, the kid comes up to you and says, oh, right. by the way, you know, what's your, mm. what's your position on the death penalty right. before I run out the door? And you just say, well, I, I don't think it's a good thing because right. there have been so many cases where people condemned to death have later been found to be innocent mm. And after all, I don't think the state should be taking life. I think the state shouldn't give itself that authority. But, but hang on, you refused a kid once who thought you were toffee and, and of a upper, upper class when he was working class and you refused to set him straight. So that no, was, I didn't. So How did I refuse to set him straight? Well, well, he thought you were not working class and that you were an enemy Just, of his class. Yes. And you basically didn't set him straight. You could have, but you chose not to. Well, it was, it was a situation where I was asking him mm. why he was misbehaving, why he was yeah. very deliberately misbehaving. Yeah. And what he told me gave me the answers that I shared with you, yeah. but it wasn't necessarily relevant to the situation. You know, the situation was he was breaking school rules yeah. and I was asking him to try and give me some... Uh, rationale as to yeah. why he was doing what he did. Mm. And he, he told me, you know, what I've shared with mm. you mm. Uh, privately. Mm. I don't think it was relevant for me at that time to give him my life history, my well, biography. Well, that's what I'm saying. No, if but it's a, a different question. If you're in question. a math class and he, the guy's off and f- no, no, asking no, no, no. philosophy questions, no, no, no. you say, well, that's not relevant. No, this kid no. didn't ask me. Right. He didn't ask me anything because right. he wasn't interested in me right. at all as mm. a person. Mm. Now, he, he was made telling, an assumption. He, he was telling me his mm. assumptions. He mm. didn't ask me any direct questions. So, mm. no, I, I disagree with you. I wasn't right. being dishonest with him at all. I didn't say you are dishonest, but I was saying you chose not to reveal 
something. Because no, there was, was there was there was no questioning from him. Mm. He wasn't curious about me right. at all, all right. as a person. Mm. He was telling me mm. his reasons for behaving like a little asshole, mm. you know, basically. Mm. And I just put two and two together and figured out mm. what his assumptions about me were. Mm. But he didn't ask me any questions. Mm. And if he had, I would have. Mm. I would have told him, definitely. Mm. If he'd said, you know, what, what sort of family background are you from? I would have told mm. him, for mm. sure. Anyway, I think teachers are entitled to keep stuff private if they want to. Sex positions and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. Don't want to give away secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Let them find out for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, we're just going to skip that. And we have to get to... Uh, did, did, I have sorry. to make a confession. I'm a yeah. week behind in watching and listening to the <laughs> what? podcast. I know. And here, so Trevor rings me up, and I'm. Uh-oh. You're a week behind. <laughs> did you have to tell the listener that? Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry, dear listener. I've, uh, I know I'm slack. So yeah, I had to cook dinner. So I thought I've got to listen to it quick, quick. But I had to cook dinner, so I never uh, got around to it. Yeah. But did on that topic last week? Oh. Did you cover of was it the religious freedoms or something? Yeah. 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 Did. Did you cover the um, the definitions part in that draft bill? Oh, kind of. Yeah, where it yeah. says religious belief and act or activity means yeah. a holding a religious belief or engaging in law engaging in lawful religious activity yeah. or not holding a religious belief and not engaging or refusing to engage in a lawful religious um, belief. Yeah. So it's like, hang on. Have they just defined me with no religious belief as having a religious belief? For the purpose of the act, purposes of the act, yes, they did. So they said a reli- holding a religious belief was holding a religious belief or not holding a religious belief, <laughs> essentially. That's, that that but, is nonsense. But it, it, it's nonsense. But what they were trying to do was to say, oh, we want to protect people who also uh, say things that are anti-religious. Mm. <coughs> in a sense, or express a belief about religion because they don't believe in religion. Um, but given that they gave a blanket uh, get-out-of-jail card to religious organisations, then it wasn't helpful because uh, the sorts of people who might have exhibited discrimination against you for saying something of an atheist sort of um, vein, are excused from the act and can't be guilty of discrimination. So, uh, of course, secular groups are not excused. So statements made about religious belief, well, that's discrimination. Uh, And you, secular group, you're guilty. But if an atheist made a statement about their lack of religious belief the sorts of people who are likely to discriminate against them would be religious groups and they're exempt from the act. Uh, so so that's, it was just a smokescreen to try and say, yeah. uh, oh, look, we're being fair to secular people as well, but yeah. it's, it's not fair when you immediately yeah. exempt the people who are likely to yeah. discriminate. Well, yeah. there must be other people that, that who really um, <coughs> are offended. You know, I know there's things mm. you're, you're allowed to be offended sort of thing. Yeah. That religious belief means not holding a religious belief. I mean, only in legal legalese could that ever happen. You know, like to to just the... Well, that's like where you say uh, 
commit an act of something can be an act of omission as well. Mm. You know, it it was kind of, mm. you know, legalese sort of yeah. um, a bit of that sort of thinking behind Surely it. Where Surely they can do better you, than that. And where you they, cause yeah. somebody's death yeah. by pulling the lever for the trolley or you cause somebody's yeah. death by omitting to pull the lever, pull the lever you know, yes. so... A doing of something and a failure to do something, a holding of belief and a failure to hold a belief, mm. kind of along those lines. But mm. uh, I hope I've explained. You have explained right. it, but it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't it does, um, yeah. placate me. It would have been nice if they, have, they yes. should have created. It's not. It's only ink and paper. It wouldn't have been that hard to say a a non-religious belief, mm. and just to throw that in mm. at various times of religious belief, non-religious belief, or. Mm. And uh, cover them both. You're right. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing is, to, I understand that <coughs> we can put a submission in about the bill yes. by the second of October. So was that yes. no, conveyed to the, the deal listener? No, I didn't mm. convey mm. that. But mm. I was going to get okay. to that at some point. But good point. Yep. So you're you're writing yours. I am writing mine. Good. Okay. Well, you're <laughs> that's as probably... far as I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I am offended. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Right. Let's see. How are we going? Only an hour and 27 minutes, roughly. <laughs> just getting warmed <laughs> just up. Getting warmed <laughs> up. <laughs> just getting warmed up. I reckon we'll just try and do Brexit. Okay. okay. How hard can it be? <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a very hard topic, I think, isn't it? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> yes. It's very Let's give it a go. Okay. Let's, let's try and wrap up with, um, with Brexit. Hmm. <coughs> Brexit, combination of British and exit. A, mm. a portmanteau, portmanteau. So that's where you combine mm. a blend of words. Mm. So like smog is a combination of smoke and fog. Mm-hmm. Brexit, combination of British and exit, exit mm. from the EU. Right. Uh, quick summary in 30 minutes, Brexit explained. You guys ever heard of Doggerland? Doggerland. Old English expert. Ever is heard of Doggerland? Like Legoland? Doggerland. What, what's your expertise? What, what era um, of British? 12th century. 12th century. English. Yeah, okay. This was 6,500 BC. <laughs> A little bit before Sorry. the 12th century. Mm. <laughs> Doggerland. Well, uh, the UK, Great Britain, was attached to the mainland only 6,500 years ago. Okay. Yeah. That's not. An eye. That's not, not that long it's in the really scheme not. of things. Yeah. That's so. a, that's about. Uh, no, it's a little bit less actually than the time when Tasmania was separated from the Australian mainland. That's right. about ten thousand years ago, okay. I think. Yeah. So I mean, agriculture only was started uh, ten thousand years ago. Mm. So, mm. so it wasn't that long ago that it was actually connected. So mm. uh, we wouldn't be talking about Brexit really <laughs> if the mainland was connected to Great Britain because. That just the thought of disconnecting just wouldn't really mm. happen, yeah. I don't think. It's, yeah. you know, the geography is playing a part here. So okay. do you remember our episode where we discussed the difference between Britain, Great Britain, the British Isles, oh, the yes. UK? Yes, I remember that. Mm. You go, you go, test me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> go for it. <laughs> well, Britain uh, was called Britain at a time where it included some land on the mainland of France. The French mm. coast, which is called Brittany. Mm. And to distinguish the islands from that mainland component, uh, 
they had the islands being of Scotland, England, Wales, um, at that stage was called Great Britain as opposed to, sort of as a subset of Britain, which included a little bit of France. So, so Great Britain meant uh, the islands of Scotland, Wales and, uh, and what we know as, as England. So um, the British Isles encompasses Great Britain and, uh, the, and Ireland, both north and south. And, of course, the United Kingdom is... Actually, I should put this on the screen for the people on the chat room. Uh, and the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland... Uh, obviously is those islands which encompassed Wales, England, Scotland and includes Northern Ireland. So when we're talking about the UK, it's important to know what we're talking about in terms of a Brexit. You could ask lots of people in the UK and they wouldn't know that. Mm. <laughs> so mind. Great Britain is just... Great the, Britain is just the, the islands island that we know of as and Scotland, Wales Britain. and England. Yes. And you would think it would be the other way around, wouldn't you? Yeah. And yes, so Great Britain was a subset of Britain, which mm. included the mainland component. Mm, yeah. Okay. So the United Kingdom is known as the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Mm. Right. So uh, I'll just come back to this. So 1973, Edward Heath, Conservative leader, decided that the UK shall join the European Economic Community. 1973. He just decided, we're in. They then had a referendum two years later where everybody said, well, that was a good idea. 67% voted in favour. Good number. So there we go. But that's just interesting. He just said, we're in, and then mm. they had the referendum two years later mm. to start as But he would have had to justify his reasoning yeah. um, and, you know, sell it to people before the referendum. No doubt. But 67%. Uh, Labor was deeply split. So, and in fact, leaving was official Labor Party policy for much of the 80s. Mm. So for a long time, Labor Party was against it. Any idea why? Um, sovereignty issues, loss of control of Parliament. To Not foreigners. Uh, anything to do with protecting working rights and things like that? Maybe. I don't know mm. exactly. Um, so at that time, memories of war were fresh. So they thought being a part of the Europe community would help reduce tensions, less idea of a conflict. And the UK economy was relatively poor and people felt that the UK wasn't strong enough to go it alone. So they better join up with the Europeans. Mm. So that was 1975. In 1994, there was a conservative guy called Norman Lamont, who was a uh, former chancellor. And he revived the idea of leaving as a conservative possibility. So remembering Labor had been against it through to the 80s. Really, the Conservatives had been pro-Europe. Because Thatcher was pro-Europe, wasn't mm. she? So in 94, this Norman Lamont basically revives leaving as a Conservative issue. As, you know, he was a significant Conservative figure and he said, we should be out of this. And he was the nub of a, of a leave sort of component within the Conservatives. That's in 94. And it's been dividing the Conservatives ever since. Mm. Uh, in 97, Tony Blair took office. And Blair was a real pro-European guy. And so if uh, Blair, of course, was uh, Labor. So to be anti-Blair meant to be anti-Europe. 
as well. Mm. So Blair was so pro-European, he wanted a single currency. Mm, okay. He wanted to get rid of the pound. Mm. Um, so people who were against Blair, namely conservatives, uh, one of the things to distinguish yourself as being really anti-Blair was to be anti Europe. Mm. And in this article I read, that was a big part of the gathering of the idea of leaving Europe in the Conservative Party was simply because they hated Blair so much and it was an anti-Blair position to take. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. But Blair was, um, was, you know, what they refer to as New Labour and he yeah. was... He was quite neoliberal, wasn't he, in a lot of ways? Yeah, he was the third way. He wasn't your typical Labor leader mm. by any stretch. Yeah. So, in 2004, uh, in response to a Rome treaty, because uh, they have various treaties along the way, giving away more and more power, or, and uh, Blair announced a referendum on EU membership. But the treaty was scuppered by referendums in France and Netherlands. So that treaty never actually got up, so they didn't have to have a referendum. Okay. So that was... But a few years later, there was a similar treaty and Gordon Brown refused to have a referendum on it. People said, well, hey, if we we're going to have a referendum on a treaty before and now we've got this tr treaty and it's nearly as bad, we should be having a referendum on whether we're mm. going to accept this treaty because we're giving away a lot mm. of sovereignty. sovereignty yeah. yeah. Uh, in 2010, David Cameron came into government and he f was basically saying to the MPs, stop banging on about Brexit, but the younger Conservative MPs wanted it. And uh, in 2013, he announced a review of the EU relationship to be followed by a referendum. Of course, 2016, we had the referendum and the Leave case cleverly used emotion and identity and tugged at the heartstrings, while the Remain relied on dry facts and figures. And uh, so 51.9% voted in favour of leaving. Cameron resigned, Theresa May has left to implement Brexit. November 2018, a draft withdrawal agreement was published. So the House of Commons voted it down three times. So this is the agreement between May that May had struck with the EU. Voted down three times. Labor didn't like it because it transferred a lot of power from Parliament to the executive. So ministers could just rack up laws willy-nilly in order to... Because they'd... Well, arguably, the argument was they needed this capacity because we need to make a lot of laws really quickly. Yeah, and it was going to be a very... Leave cumbersome process. And, and Labor said, well, we don't like the idea of the executive just being able to make laws so quickly without going through Parliament. The Conservatives rejected the agreement because they didn't like the Irish backstop. So, um, and the Liberal Democrats and the Scottish National Party uh, didn't like it because they just liked to reverse Brexit to start with. So, so the backstop is about a hard border between Northern Ireland and mm. Ireland. It seems incredible, but it is true that, like, you think of the Irish as being just civilised, normal people who just got over it somehow. Mm -hmm. But it seems apparent to anybody there that if you whack up a border, there'll be trouble immediately. Absolutely. It seems incredible, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, you just... Short memories. Short memories, yeah. Long memories. But is it because... Lo long, long grievance memories. Yeah, like for, the, for those that want... 
to have a hard... Yeah. yeah. But the fact that there's no hard border means that the Northern Irish Catholics feel like, in practice, they're living in one country. Yes. In Ireland as one country rather than a country divided. Yes. Mm. But, you know, we... I mean, we would often think, oh, those... You know, in the Middle East, they're always fighting. You know, like, can't they just get on and just get over it? And we look at Ireland, we go, well, they sorted it out. Eventually, they worked it out. Mm. But, but there's just a simmering tension there that mm. as soon as you put up a border, apparently it'll be on for young and old, which yeah. I find incredible given what people should know. But uh, old grievances die hard, it seems. So they do. Europe has said, we do not want a hard border here. So whatever deal we have with you needs to not have a hard border because we don't want to be responsible for deaths in Ireland. And that's what they refer to as the backstop. Yes. A a non-hard border. Correct. Mm. And the difficulty with that is in order not to have a border, you must have free trade. Mm. And in order for free trade, the EU is really saying, well, uh, Northern Ireland needs to be complying with the same rules as the Republic of Ireland so that there's no trade rule differences and we can allow free movement. Mm. But the UK leavers are saying, well, if Northern Ireland is going to agree to all of the uh, rules of the EU but without being a member of the EU and to have different rules from the UK, that's not fair either. So we want to break away from the EU, not be... Compelled to, and there are some conservative mm. politicians in Northern Ireland mm. that have supported Theresa May anyway. Yeah, and what was their position? Do you know on the backstop? Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. But there's this. It's really impossible to overcome this issue because if you're going to have an open border, then you must have the same trading rules, mm. and in order to have the same trading rules. Northern Ireland will have to adopt the EU rules, whatever they happen to be from time to time. And the people who are wanting to leave are saying, we don't want to be bound by EU rules mm. anymore. It's hard so, to see how it can work. So yes. the unions, if, they leave, if Brexit goes through, would want a hard border, a hard backstop. Uh, so, With so the unions are the Protestants. Yes, the ones who are wanting to fight want, mm. want a hard... Yeah, the ones the who... Unions, are, yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, would want a hard border. Mm. So... So that's the difficulty that cannot be overcome. And Boris Johnson has not come up with some magic formula to say, oh, mm. have I got a solution? We're just going to do this. And they talk about technology making it easier to scan goods and things, but it doesn't exist. So, mm. so that whole Irish question was never addressed in the run-up to the Brexit election referendum. Like nobody really explained to people, here's a problem. So mm. got swept under the table. Right. Um, so the backstop seeks to prevent a hard border by keeping Northern Ireland in the single market, even if no trade agreement is reached by the end of the transition period. Um, yep, said that. Uh, so the other thing is that Brexit is really not a big deal to the EU in terms of financial cost. Like they've done their sums and they figure a couple of percent here and there in terms mm. of difficulties for us. But no big deal. Obviously, for the UK, huge deal. Mm-hmm. So there's no equal bargaining position here. It's not like the UK can go to the EU and say, well, we want this and this from you otherwise or else. 
There is nowhere else. No. Like it's just a begging situation. Yep. So they're in a really poor bargaining position. Um, right. Uh, let me just get down to the next bit. So enter Boris Johnson. And the UK is due to leave, according to previous agreements, on the 31st of October. And if there's no – if the agreement that was – that May sort of negotiated has been rejected three times. So at the moment there's no agreement, theoretically, 31st of October. The UK's relationship with the EU is just like Terminated. any other country. Yep. Um, Boris uh, – He's just an entitled upper-class twat. He's just a bully and he doesn't care if the UK is screwed over because he'll always have a bottle of wine in his cupboard and a, yep. and a decent meal. Like, he just doesn't care. Yeah. Um, so he's happy to take a no-deal Brexit, it seems. Mind you, in the lead-up to the referendum, he equivocated. He, did. he didn't know what he, he was going to do. Mm. And the reason was because he didn't care. It was mm. just what's going to be, I'm going to back the winning horse. Mm. And he's just trying to decide what was the winning horse because he mm. didn't really care. Mm. Um, so he says that he's negotiating right now with the EU, but he clearly isn't mm. because he hasn't said what deal he wants. Like he hasn't articulated anything about a deal that he's trying to negotiate. And there's no negotiating going on, even though he says he is. So he doesn't want uh, pesky questioning in Parliament, so he prorogued Parliament and said, we're shutting up shop for four weeks or whatever, till middle of October. Um, won't be back until the 14th of October. Parliament's shut down. The EU Council meets on the 17th of October to potentially agree to any new Brexit deal. So presumably he can meet with them between now and then and come to a deal on the 17th of October. Like, time's running out. We're the 10th <laughs> yes. of September here. Yes. Um, so the parliament was worried that this scoundrel, Boris Johnson, is just isn't going to do anything. Mm. He's not going to genuinely mm. negotiate. He's just going to fluff around, say he is, do nothing, and hit us with a hard Brexit on the 31st of October and say, oh, sorry, did my best, couldn't do it, hard Brexit, here we are. Mm. So We'll just wing it and mm, do the best we can. Yep. So the parliament, this is incredible. I find this part to be incredible, incredible. Like when you're PM, you think you're in charge. Mm. You think you're the boss. The parliament passed a law forcing Boris Johnson to ask the EU for an extension to the 31st of January 2020 if he doesn't get a deal by the 19th of October. Mm. So they've said to him... Um, if you can't get a deal that we agree to, then here's a law that says you must ask for an extension uh, till January 2020. Mm. Interesting. And he initially said, over my dead body, I'm not frigging well doing that. Mm. And different people have said to him, well, you could be in jail because the parliament mm. has ordered you to mm. do it. And you're the PM. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're yeah. The parliament, including... Mm. Enough, enough of the of your own members yeah. gathered together with the opposition to pass you're, a law to say, king. fucking <laughs> get down there mm. and ask for an extension if you haven't got the deal. Mm. I find that incredible. Yeah. Mm. So he tried to bring an election on because uh, having an election would have meant uh, that 
Parliament would shut down mm. and it would be impossible to have anything happen before the 31st <coughs> of October mm. and he could say, oh, well, it's impossible to do anything during an election period, mm. um, you know, not my fault. And so normally when a government says to an opposition, well, let's have an election, in 100% of occasions in the past history of parliaments, the opposition always wants an election and says, sure. yep, We'll have an election because <laughs> we can win this. We don't want you guys in here. Mm. But this opposition, but very cleverly, we do it different. The so, Corbyn opposition no. said, no, yeah, we yeah. don't want one right now yeah. because you've got a job to do that we've yeah. told you to do. Yeah. You have to sort out this stuff. And then we'll have an election after. But doesn't it make because, you suspicious about no, Corbyn and no, the Labour no, Party? No, because it's suspicious of Boris Johnson because he. Um, he was just engineering that as a means of shutting down debate and shutting down responsibility and getting weaseling out of this obligation yeah. to do what the parliament had mm. told him. And the Labor said, we're happy to have an election just a month or two later after you've had to jump through the hoops mm. that this mm. parliament has told you to jump through, which I think is incredible. Yeah, it is. But, um, you know, the, the shutting down of the parliament for four weeks, Yes, a friend of mine told me today that during that four-week period... Yep. Uh, most of the major parties have their sort of annual conferences anyway. Yes. And so, therefore, most of them wouldn't be in Parliament for more than four or five days out of that month anyway. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Uh, the other thing is, so Boris tried to bring on an election, but the opposition said no, because the ne they need Parliament to be sitting in the days after the 19th of October so they can pressure him. So remember how they've got this law and saying mm. you've got to do it yeah. and we need to be around to agree to any... Thing that you might have miraculously struck with the EU. Mm -hmm. So basically, look, very clever to say no, we're not shutting down. But do you suspect they'll say no anyway, regardless of what sort of deal he gets? Uh, I don't know. Just to, you know, be bloody minded and bring on an election so that they can I don't know. then go out there and campaign, you know, saying, see, he, he, yeah. he couldn't get a good deal and therefore vote us into office and we'll fix it. Yeah, could be. But. Uh at the moment, it's a bit of a poison chalice. Like, really, you want to be able to nail him. And so, effectively, they're saying, uh, yes, we're shut down till mid-October. Meanwhile, you've got to cut a deal. Mm. If you don't cut a deal that we like, because we're all coming back on the 19th, and we're coming back because we're not having an election, mm. um, and you will have to ask for an extension because mm. if you don't, you'll potentially be in jail. Yeah. Like, that's the sort of advice mm. that they're giving him from different QCs, etc. So, um, so on a positive note, wouldn't you say that parliamentary democracy is working? You could. Uh, and maybe that's something in favour of maintaining national, you know, independence separate from the you EU. You could, but it's really under pressure because mm. the uh, British Parliament doesn't have a written constitution. It's all based on on convention and mm. customs and, mm. and gentlemanly agreements mm. built up over time, mm. which, um, which is fine when you've got gentlemen in the place. But when you've got a rogue and a gangster like Boris Johnson, then... Oh, a gangster's a bit harsh. I'll get onto that. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll get onto that. So uh, at this stage... Um, what this article also said was that Johnson and his... So Johnson said to the parliament, let's all vote and have a, an election, uh, agree to have an election mm -hmm. and couldn't get the numbers because they needed like 60, two-thirds majority or something mm -hmm. to call an early election because mm -hmm. they got fixed terms. 
and he was considering a nuclear option of tabling a no-confidence motion in himself and his government <laughs> and forcing the Tory MPs <laughs> to vote for it to trigger an election. Like, that's part of the sort of uh, games sort of mm. stuff that these guys were considering. And um, uh, so, so, that's, uh, so that's where we're at with that. And actually, I'm going to play a bit of Jonathan Pye because you're talking about democracy. Mm. It's really interesting that there's a conflict between direct democracy, which was the referendum, mm. and parliamentary democracy. Mm. So headphones on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, oh, sorry. Yep. Here's my arm. Yep. I should have. We should have. Yep. Craig's got uh, a dodgy arm, so uh, so we're good there. And we'll play a bit of uh, Jonathan Pye here for you. Him to suspend Parliament and pretend it isn't about Brexit is just fucking bullshit, right? How how long? Okay, okay. Let me just try and get my head round this because it's because uh, it's fucking confusing, Tim. So, we had a referendum, which is what we call direct democracy, but we live in a parliamentary democracy and we voted to do something that the majority of our elected MPs think is an act of national self-harm. So so why the fuck did they all vote to have a referendum in the first place? Dicks. Oh, well, we didn't think you'd vote the way you did. Tough. But anyway, also, since we had that referendum, we've also had another general election where we elected members of parliament to run the country as they see fit on our behalf, because that's how a parliamentary democracy works. Okay, so anyway, we voted via direct democracy for something that comes into direct conflict with our parliamentary democracy. But what we voted for, as we were all led to believe, was to take back control of our parliamentary democracy. So, through direct democracy, we're taking back control of our parliamentary democracy, but to do that, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is suspending Parliament. Sounds fucking weird to me. Mind you, so does the phrase Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Okay, anyway, the problem is, after three years, our Parliament has no idea how to implement the result of the direct democratic vote because those members of Parliament generally don't agree with the result of the direct democratic vote. So, we're in a position where leavers are shouting that if Parliament tries to stop a no-deal Brexit, it would be undemocratic, and Remainers are shouting that to not allow them to do just that is undemocratic, which I think is all very positive. Okay, think about it. I think finally we're at a point where the country is ready to come together and agree on at least one thing. No matter how you voted, what you want to happen next, leave, remain, left, right, Daily Mail or Guardian, we can surely all agree that one way or another, our democracy is fucked. There we go. <laughs> or, that's an interesting concept. Or really, that it still works. Yes, but it's interesting, the conflict of a direct <laughs> democracy and a parliamentary democracy. Mm. Yeah. You know, in Switzerland, they have a lot of referendums. Mm. And some people would argue they have one of the more democratic forms of government in the world, anywhere in yeah. the world. California has had a lot of referendums as well. Yeah. And it's totally screwed California in many respects where they passed laws that made it impossible to have yeah. a proper budget. Yeah. So, Look, I, I, I once uh, discussed this with a Swiss person and said, oh, it's, it's really great, isn't it? You have all these, you know, the government actually asks you what, what you think about all these issues. Mm-hmm. And the Swiss person said, oh, yeah, but we get tired of having to go and vote all the time. Mm. And I was like, well... Gee, you know, count yourself lucky. Think of all the people who never never get asked anything or never get, have an opportunity 
vote about anything, you know. Mm. But this, they... is, this is the problem you get is what, with the Brexit, isn't it? That um, a highly technical issue has a simple yes or no, yeah. where most people go, as they're walking into the ballot mm. um, station, go, okay, what will I do? Oh, well, Lexit. You know, mm. That's all the thought they've given to it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, um, Boris Johnson has got an advisor, uh, let me see, Dominic Cummings, and he's kind of like a Rasputin-type character whispering in the ear of Boris Johnson, like he's 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 an incredible bully and um, seemingly without morals and just uh, he's he's out to wreck the Conservative Party. So a bunch of MPs voted against Boris Johnson, like he's... He's been MP. He's been PM for a few weeks, and there's been like five votes on things, and he's lost them all. Like yes. it's just incredible. Mm. And normally, if MPs in the British system vote against the government, you know, the slaps on the wrist and there's issues, but um, they don't get disendorsed from the party. Like it's not the done thing. Mm. And mm. so these guys have just said to uh, eighteen. Uh, MPs who cross the floor, well, you're out of the party, you're disendorsed, you're out of a job. And these are conservative uh, MPs. Yes. Mm. Uh, so they've really um, gone through them very heavily um, in a much more aggressive fashion than anybody's ever done in British politics before. So um, Nick Cohen in The Guardian um, describes a comparison as being from The Usual Suspects, is a movie with Kevin Spacey and um, in it, he's playing this character who tells of a gang of Hungarians that wanted their own mob. They realised that to be in power, you didn't need guns or money or even numbers. You just needed the will to do what the other guy wouldn't. If they broke, um, even gangsters lacks conventions, not just kill a rival but his wife and kids, then they would dominate. So people who are prepared to break the rules more than other mm. people would come to dominate. And that's his description of Dominic uh, Cummings and Boris Johnson in the British Parliament as being prepared to do things mm. that nobody else would. And really, you could look at Donald Trump as being that mm. sort of character as well, mm. where a lot of its systems in the, you know, the US has got a constitution, but a lot of things are relying on people behaving properly. Mm. And when you've got somebody who just says, no, mm. I'm just not going to mm. uh, be holding to that, mm. people who are prepared to do things that other people won't do uh, end up bullying the others. So so that was his description of them. Um, uh, and he said that basically treat the Johnson, uh, Boris Johnson administration as a crime gang and think of them that way and don't trust them, which is what the parliament has had to do hmm. by saying, Boris Johnson, we don't trust you. We're passing a law to force you to ask for an extension. So they're in... Uh, Diabolical trouble, yeah. and who knows where it'll end it up. It really is. Mm. So there we go. That's yeah. Brexit. Twenty mm. minutes. That was too bad. There you go. Look, I read an article, and I've generally had a fairly sympathetic sort of view to Brexit. Mm. You know, thinking, well, if the British people want to be independent of the bureaucracy in Brussels, well, good luck to them. But then I read a, an article the other day. Um, where a guy laid out the economic implications, and he said it's it's going to be dire for the mm. for the British because, as you pointed out before, if they sever those trade arrangements, 
They've got none. And then when they want to sell their goods to the to the to the Europeans, to the other other Europeans, they've got no agreement. So they have to renegotiate everything. Mm. And if they think they're going to get the same favourable terms that they have now, they're dreaming. Exactly. They're just not going to get them. Yeah. So why don't they do the Chinese option? Yeah, you know, with Hong Kong. You know. One country, two systems right. with Northern yeah. Ireland that's set up as a little island that's going to do the trading with the rest of the, the, rest of the world. Yeah, but they'll, yeah. they'll still do, be... Do you know what I think? Uh, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, if there was a no deal, the UK would say, well, we're not setting up a hard border. Like, we don't mind trade between the two islands. And really putting it on to the EU to put up a hard border, and the EU would say, well, but they we're not going to put up a hard border either. Well, it's not either. their territory mm. anyway. Well, they're not going to say to Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, put up a hard border. No. So I think it would just be a case of there'll just be free trade mm. because neither side, the UK won't want to and mm. the EU won't be game enough to mm. and there'll be this unwritten law that says free trade between the two islands mm. because nobody's brave enough to put up a, it's not a sentry about, post. It's not just about right. trade, mm. of course. There's immigration. Mm. Is yeah, mm. exactly. It'll be a free movement which mm. will be unauthorised but mm. nobody will be brave enough to put up a, mm. um, a barrier, I think. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's thank the patrons. I'm looking at number three on the patron <laughs> list here. <laughs> Craig, <laughs> way back in... The 22nd of March 2017, you were, yeah. you were with us as a patron. Yeah, but You've made a $110 $1 donations <laughs> since there then. We go. <laughs> I feel really bad charging you a dollar for this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Top three, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Sean, was it Sean and Janelle? Sean, Janelle me and Craig. Yeah. Craig. Yeah. Good on you, Craig. Yeah, yeah. good on you. So, um, look... You know, in years to come, it'll be be real, even more valuable. It'll be, people go, "Wow, you yeah. you were with the Iron Fist Velvet Club way back then. Way How back. prescient yeah, very, of you!" Very first episode listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, thank you, of course, to Sean, Janelle, Craig, John, Landon, Wayno, Ayame, Allison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud, Kane, Bromman, Matt J, Robert, Rod, Palais, Matticman, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Karen, Daniel, Harry, Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday. Aidan, Wheatwatcher, Andy, Murray, Melinda, Adam, Greg, Professor, Dr. Dentist, Will, Glenn, Craig, S, Matthew, Clinton, Alexander, Paul, um, uh, Tom, new patron, Tero. Thank you, Tero. Also, the non-patrons who do it through PayPal, Dean, Ken, was the beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, that man, David and Beverly. Thanks to the beer sponsors, Was Wayne, Landon, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon, Caitlin, Zach, Captain Doomsday, and the Iron Fist, who provided tonight's. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Fist. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, we do have a lot of expenses. Um, website hosting. I had to spend a bit of money on the website because we've got a lot of data on there and it was really slow. So I had to spend money getting it sped up. And uh, hosting of the MP3 files. Uh, this streaming stuff, subscriptions to The Guardian, Crikey, uh, other magazines or newspapers that we subscribe to. Um, I can assure you this is not a profit-making enterprise. <laughs> it's it's uh, Not yet, Fist. Yeah. So yet. the deal is, and I haven't done the hard sort of squeeze for a while, but here it is. If you've listened to 20 to 25 episodes and you've really enjoyed it and you're at the point where you can't wait for an episode – 
come down, you're checking your app on a Wednesday morning and you're so excited and you play it straight away and you run through the whole thing. At that point, we expect you to stump up for at least a dollar a show. Go to the website, ironfistvelvetclub.com.au. You'll see a link to become a patron. And you know what? You'll just get a really good feeling. In fact, let's, uh, let me see here. Let's just pay a reason why you should. Here we go. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. So there you go. No ads in this show. It's all just a bunch of guys who have normal jobs who get together and do this. So there we go. Independent media voice. We need more of it. <laughs> we need more of it. That's mm. right. So uh, that was a good episode. I yeah, think. I enjoyed I think. it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, look, just in my defence, I was away a considerable amount of last week, <laughs> and that's why I'm behind the week, okay? Oh. <laughs> look, as number three patron, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of... You don't uh, have to justify yourself, Craig. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> thank you, Craig. You are magnificent. You're welcome. Uh, thank you, Paul, as always. Always a pleasure. Scott, get well soon. Yeah, come yeah. on back, Scott. Yeah, and uh, we will speak with you all next week. Bye for now. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye, listeners. Fist, glove, twelfth man, hard bottom here. Well, listen up, you three leftist libtards. I was pleased to hear that you are overcoming your insanity by subscribing to that fine Murdoch masterpiece, The Australian. To help you in your recovery and ongoing therapy, I have made a contribution. Don't ask me why. Perhaps because I like meerkats. But remember... I have a hessian bag, a brick, and your names are on it if you don't mend your ways. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So 
if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.